1: We're
0: so glad you're tuning in today. Let's get to the show. Hey there, thanks for joining us today.
1: In today's episode, we're talking all about hallway procedures and
0: sharing a teacher-approved tip for beginning with the end in mind. We start our episodes with a morning message just like we used to do at morning meeting in our classrooms. This week's morning message is, what is a prompt you give to your students before walking in the
1: hall? And we got some really awesome responses from our community. Cindy said for the lower grades, she likes, my hands are by my side. I'm standing straight and tall. I'm looking
0: forward. Got a bubble. I'm ready for the hall. And Maggie said, I'd like to sing a little song along with the tune to I'm a little teapot. Are you going to sing it? Yeah, of course I got the song one. Uh, (laughs) You you don't have to sing it. (laughs) We know the tune if you just want to read I'm a big second grader, big and tall. Here is my quiet sign for the hall. When I'm in the hallway, you won't hear me shout. I'm responsible without a doubt. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't use that one. No offense, Maggie.
1: <laughs> if Maybe if you're a more fun teacher. Yeah. <laughs> okay, help me out with this one, Heidi. Cynthia said, eyes facing forward. Hands by your... Side. Voices... Off. I like that kind of call and response. And Kate said, I'm in second. No talking. Just walking. Keep our hands to ourselves. Kim said, We say my hands are hanging by my side. I'm standing straight and tall. I'm standing very quietly. My eyes are looking straight ahead. I'm ready for the haul.
0: April said, Show me a shine line. And then shine stands for... S is for stand straight, H is hands at your sides, I is in your place, N is no noise, and E is eyes forward.
1: Doug said, fourth grade teacher here. I say set, they say hit. I've used this for 20 years. First time I used was for my varsity football players to get them to be quiet and listen. It worked
0: well. And I bet if it works for football players, it will work for fourth graders too. (laughs) Emily said, my favorite was call and response. So I would call out, a sixth grade line is, and my class would respond back, straight and silent.
1: Love it. Nancy said, I've used ready, set, you bet, with second
0: through fourth graders. I like that. Short and sweet. Tylina said, we will enter the hallway when our voices and our line are hallway ready. And Karen said,
1: hands at your sides, eyes front, mouth closed. When we start walking, don't start talking.
0: (laughs) Love a rhyme when it comes to the hallway.
1: We'd love to have you join the conversation over in our teacher approved Facebook group.
0: So if you were to list your five most important classroom procedures, would hallway procedures make the cut? Ooh,
1: well, my attention signal would probably be number one. (laughs) And strong procedures for starting and ending the day are critical for my sanity as a teacher. Hallway procedures are important, but I don't know if they would crack the top five on my list.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. It makes sense that if student learning is the point of school, then we should put our efforts into the procedures and expectations that make teaching and learning possible. But have you ever considered that a class's hallway behavior is a crystal ball for predicting how much teaching and learning actually happens in a classroom. Whoa. I read about this recently, and I kind of haven't been able to stop thinking about it. The idea is that students who are walking quietly in line are showing that they respect their teacher and that they can follow directions. Well,
1: that does make sense. I know when I see a class acting rowdy in the hallway, my first thought isn't, I bet that class really maximizes their learning time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's because how students approach basic procedures like walking in line tells you exactly how they approach more important procedures like, you know, actually reading during reading time.
1: I think some teachers might hear that and think, well, my class may not be great in the hallway,
0: but I hold them to high standards where it counts. But that is not how high standards work. Right. You can't expect your students to follow your directions when it's really important. I'm making air quotes. You can't see that. But really important (laughs) if you don't expect them to follow your directions when it's kind of important. Telling your class to
1: be quiet in the hallway but not holding them accountable for meeting that expectation is, in effect, telling them that they don't have to be quiet in the hallway and what you say doesn't
0: matter. And if what you say about the hallway doesn't matter, at least in your students' minds, why do they need to respect your standards when they're in the classroom? This has a real impact on how
1: well they pay attention during lessons, how well they participate in group work, how responsible they are with school materials, and how well they focus on their assignments. And doing those things
0: poorly has a negative impact on how much students learn. Plus, keep in mind all of the wasted learning time that happens If your students return to your class riled up instead of ready to learn, you know how that goes. You have to spend so much time refocusing your class before you can continue with your day. And that is a huge drain on your time and your energy. Mm -hmm. If you consider
1: the lost learning, wasted time, and drained energy that poor behavior costs, it's clear to see that having high standards all of the time is actually easier than only having high standards when you think it matters. And just to be clear, we're talking about having high standards, not high pressure. Yeah, having high standards for your students' hallway behavior means you can get to lunch without disturbing other classes, or touching things on the wall, or losing anyone on the way. (laughs) It's not Captain Von Trapp in the Sound of Music blowing his whistle and having a military precision line march their way to the cafeteria. Although, honestly, some days I really wanted that whistle. I can hear the whistle in my head right now. (laughs) So if hallway behavior is our crystal ball, how do we ensure that it's predicting classroom success and not classroom failure?
0: Well, you need four plans. We love a list. So we've got four here for you. A plan for what needs to happen. A plan for preventing problems. A plan for dealing with the problems that still arise. And a plan for teaching and practicing what should happen. So
1: let's start with our first plan, what needs to happen. Before students can follow your directions,
0: you have to have a clear understanding of what they should be doing. You need to know what the expected hallway behaviors are. If students can't talk in the halls, can teachers talk in the halls? In the classroom, where will students line up? Will you have one line or two lines? Will you use line leaders? Is the line leader assigned? If so, how? Do students line up in an assigned order? If so, what order? And that's before you even take a step into the hallway. As we've
1: discovered with most procedures, there's a lot more to consider than you ever really realized, and
0: that is for sure true with hallway procedures. So here is what I did with my second graders, and I'm not sharing this because I think it's the perfect example of hallway procedures, but I think that sometimes hearing another person's reasoning can be helpful in figuring out what works for you. So my expectation, my plan for what I wanted to happen, was that the students would walk quickly and quietly without stopping or touching things or other kids. Since they were supposed to be quiet, I really tried not to talk in the halls either. But that just wasn't always possible. If another teacher needed to ask a question or I passed a parent or something, I just felt like a huge jerk. If I was just nodding and pointing instead of responding, right? I did my best. It was fine. We survived. When we went to assemblies, I would just have my class in one line for simplicity's sake. But for our day to day lining up needs, I kept my class in two lines. Yeah, I did two lines too. And I think I was the only teacher at my school with two lines. How about you, Emily?
1: Uh, actually, I'm not sure. And I, if I did two lines and it was unusual, I'm sure it's because I got it from you. So,
0: <laughs> well, there was a method to my madness. Two lines kept more of the kids close to me, and proximity to the teacher is the best way to deter bad behavior. I had two line leaders as part of my class jobs. The class jobs rotated one position each week, so kids would have some jobs like line leader for two weeks in a row. It was fine. They did great. (laughs) I would call the tables or individual kids to line up if they were being quiet, and the kids were just supposed to get in the next spot in line. There were some hiccups with that system, but it mostly worked okay. I didn't have a boys line or girls line. It was just get in the next spot. Yeah. I only assigned a certain line order on the years where I had classes that couldn't handle just getting in line themselves. When I needed a certain order, I would assign the spot strategically to minimize behavior problems instead of you know having the kids line up alphabetically or by their number or some other system.
1: Yeah. If you want to bother with an order, only do it if it's going to be
0: worth the effort. <laughs> I will say I did run into a hiccup my first year of teaching. I started by having a girl's line and a boy's line. And when we would get to the cafeteria for lunch, the best behaved line got to go in first. Well, after a few months, my principal pulled me aside and said that that's kind of illegal. Whoops. (laughs) You can't dictate when kids eat based on gender because it looks like discrimination. So, you know, there's that to keep in mind if you do have two lines.
1: (laughs) Oopsie. There really is so much you have to consider for walking in the hallway and every other procedure. If you want some guiding questions to help you think through what needs to happen in your classroom, we have a new product that is full of guiding questions to ask yourself as you plan out your procedures strategically. We've tried to make this as thorough as possible. It starts by helping you identify the procedures you need from a list of, oh, 380 (laughs) suggestions. And then there are 520, literally, (laughs) guiding questions to help you really think through the steps of your procedures. Are
0: you ready to stop (laughs) listening to us right now? (laughs) That is a lot of decisions to make. But here's the thing. You are already making those decisions, whether or not you are actually sitting down to think through what's best, or you're just making a default choice. So, for example, the choice of having your students line up in one line or two lines, That was a choice you made and maybe you didn't think about it and you just told the kids to line up on one line. Because you made a decision without actually considering the decision, you are left managing the consequences. And maybe one line is the best choice for your class. However, maybe two lines would eliminate a lot of headaches for you, but you will never know if you don't consider all of your options.
1: It does take work to think things through, but it's way better to make an intentional decision that benefits your class instead of a default decision that you spend a year having to manage. So if you want some support in planning your most effective procedures, we will link to that procedures guiding questions product in the show notes.
0: So all of that (laughs) will get you the plan for your hallway procedure because you can't tell the students what to do if you don't know what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. Hey there, teacher friend. Do you have a question or concern that could use a teacher proof solution? We'd
1: love to help you out by answering your question here on the podcast. You can submit your questions to hello at secondstorywindow.net and put podcast question in your subject line. We can't wait to hear what's on your mind.
0: Our next plan is a plan to prevent problems. Preventing problems is our favorite classroom management
1: tool. Preventing problems in the hallway might mean having an assigned order for lining up. It might mean the teacher walks at the back of the line or walks backwards at the front of the line if they're
0: very skilled so they can keep an eye on what's happening. Both of those are really good suggestions if you need them. But I think one thing that every teacher needs is, is a behavior reminder right before you step into the hall. I just said something like, I'll know you're ready to go when I see everyone facing forward, mouths quiet, and arms folded or at your sights. And then I just waited till I saw that. And, you know, the kids that aren't complying are getting nudges from their friends because they're tired of waiting. Yeah. But if you want a jazzier, more fun prompt, though, go back to the start of this episode for lots of fun ideas.
1: Unfortunately, though, all the cute rhymes in the world won't prevent every hallway disruption.
0: For that reason, you need a plan for how to handle problems. This gets extra tricky because if the standard is no talking in the halls, how do you correct student behavior without talking? You're going to need some signals. You'll want a signal for go and a signal for stop, of course. A signal like a finger to the lips or zipping your mouth is also useful to signal that they should. Be quiet. But a signal that you might not have considered is turn around and go back. And if you really want an effective solution to your hallway problems, it is this turnaround signal. And that brings us to our fourth plan a
1: plan for how to teach and practice your hallway procedures.
0: So, on the first morning of school, after we have played with pattern blocks and learned the bathroom procedure, and I've introduced myself, I teach our hallway procedure. I like to do it then because it's a break from all the sitting and listening. And, you know, we try and break up the talking. Plus, doing it at this time gives us time to practice before we actually have to go anywhere. So we're not in a hurry. And you've really got two procedures here. The first is
1: lining up and the second is walking in the hallway. You can teach those procedures using the tell, try, tally, talk
0: method, just like you would any other procedure. The tricky part is just making sure to explain everything before you're out in the hallway. So I start with the talk step and explain how we line up. The next step is to try. I have a few students model how to line up, and then I have a few students show us what not to do. And if you want some Google Slides to help you teach any procedure, including lining up, check out our Procedures and Routines Teaching Slides that use our Tell Try Tally Talk method, and we will be sure to link that in our show notes. Once they've got the hang of our lining up procedure, it's back to tell, try, tally, talk for walking in the hallway. I talk about why it's important that we're not disruptive in the halls. Then I give my behavior expectations. I tell them they can smile and wave when they see a friend or a former teacher. I remind them that we don't stop for a drink just because we pass by a fountain. All the fun details. (laughs) But the
1: second step of try gets a little tricky because it's hard for a student to model for the class how to walk in the
0: hallway when you're in the classroom. This is where the hand signals become important. Right. So I explain each signal and they kind of practice standing next to their desk as much as you really can. The turning around and going back signal takes some work. (laughs) I let the kids know whenever someone isn't following directions, it means we all have to turn around and try again. Then we practice lining up. I give my last-minute behavior prompt, and then it's out into the hallway. I might have a destination in mind, like we'll end in the library to hear a story, or maybe I want to show them around the school, so we'll swing by the office and cafeteria. But either way, my real goal is for students to practice until we get it right. We start to walk, but as soon as I hear a little voice saying, that's my brother's class, I hold up my hands for the stop signal. It doesn't matter to me who said it. It doesn't matter to me that no other classes were really impacted by the noise. We are turning around and going back. And this is straight out of the Tools for Teaching book by Fred Jones.
1: He would say that you need to take your class all the way back to your classroom. But that is a big walk for the little ones and also a lot of time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if I taught older kids, I might have done it that way. But I had a bunch of seven-year-olds, so I modified his plan. I kind of like my signal for turnaround was I would move my index fingers in circles. Like I was like a flight attendant to signal that the kids should turn around. And the end of the line now became the front of the line. And then I would just quietly say, go. I know I'm talking in the halls. What can you do? I would stay where I was until the kids had walked what I considered to be an annoying distance. And then I'd quietly say, stop. <laughs> the kids would stop, turn around. And then I gesture for them to walk toward me. Once they got to me, I'd give them the long teacher look, "Hmm," like, I know you can do this, so I better not hear any more talking. But I really tried to stay upbeat and calm. This is our first day of school after all. I wanted them to know that I expect mistakes will happen, and when they do, it's not a big deal, we just fix them. And then we continued on our walk until I heard another voice, or someone touched a hallway display, and guess what we did? We turned around and tried again and again until we got it right. If the other kids are annoyed at having to keep practicing, acting up in line becomes very uncool. And while we're cutting down on the goofing off, we are also increasing impulse control. When kids learn that they can't blurt out random comments in the middle of the hallway, they're developing the skills to keep from blurting out in the middle of a lesson, which of course we all want. <laughs> But perhaps most importantly, this teaches the kids that they need to respect the
1: boundaries. Fred Jones explains it this way. Through simple practice to mastery, you are signaling to the students by your investment of time and energy that this piece of behavior is important. And you are teaching the students that you are the living embodiment of two timeless characterizations of a teacher. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say, and we are going to keep doing this until we get it right. It is only through training such as this that students learn to take you seriously. They learn that when you say something, they need to
0: listen. I love Fred Jones. He's got the best quotes. He knows what's up. (laughs) (laughs) Hallway procedures have a bigger impact on classroom success than you might expect. So it's important to take your time making a plan for exactly what needs to happen, making a plan for preventing problems with a behavior prompt, making a plan for dealing with the problems that still arise with your hallway signals, and making a plan for teaching and practicing excellent hallway behavior.
1: That is a lot to consider. (laughs) That's probably why no one thinks hallway procedures are the most fun part of teaching. But We can add a little bit of fun to those dry procedures. Make sure to listen to our episode coming out on Thursday, where we share several ways to sprinkle in some surprise and delight to your boring
0: hallway walking. And we would love to hear your thoughts on how you teach your hallway procedures. Please come join the conversation in our Teacher Approved Facebook group. Now let's talk about this week's Teacher Approved Tip. Each week we leave you with a small actionable tip
1: that you can apply in your classroom today. This week's Teacher Approved Tip is to think about packing up your classroom as you're setting up your classroom.
0: So as you are setting up your classroom for the school year, pay attention to the things that you find yourself using right away. Start a running list of all of those things. So maybe it's your glue gun, your bulletin board letters, your labels, whatever you're using, add it to the list. And then when it is time to pack up your room at the end of the year, you can gather all of those items into your need first box for setting up your room again. This is such a good idea because I always think I'll remember what I need, but I
1: never actually do. So this list will be a lifesaver as you prep for next year. You just need to remember where you put your list. You might want to email yourself. That's the way I find things. Or you could include it in a reminder on your phone that you schedule to
0: send at the end of the school year. A Google Doc can come in handy too because they're easy to search. Think how far ahead of the game you'll be if you are already thinking of how to simplify next year's back to school. Talk about a gift for your future future self. To wrap up the show, we are sharing what we're giving extra credit to this week. Emily, what gets your extra credit? I'm giving extra credit to a portable phone charging
1: bank. Ooh, exciting. So I had one that was like 10 years old that I bought for a Disney trip. It really is 10 (laughs) years old. And it was so slow. It didn't hold that much charge and it was really heavy. At the time, I think it was probably top of the line. But now it's really not great. My daughter recently went on a several day camping trip with her grandparents and she wanted to be able to use her phone to listen to music on the way there and back. So I picked up a new portable charger for her and the one I got held several charges. It was lightweight and it is TSA safe and 13 year old approved. I got it got a major thumbs up. I'm sure we'll be using it lots going forward, and I'll link to the one that we got in the show notes.
0: That is really handy. I, I think I have a super old heavy one, too. It's time <laughs> to upgrade. What are you giving extra credit to, Heidi? So my extra credit goes to Oh Happy Danny. She made a really cute, powerful affirmation station that she is offering as a freebie. It's got lots of signs that say things like, I am helpful, I am creative, I am loved, I am friendly. And the idea is that you print them off and then you can affix the ones that you want to use around the edge of a mirror so that your students can repeat these positive statements about themselves to themselves. And I thought that was such a powerful addition to a classroom and it was so generous of her to offer it for free. And plus, if you know, oh, happy Danny, everything she makes is so cute. So if you want one for your classroom, you can get it on her website and I will make sure that we put the link in the show notes. I saw that and I thought it was such a cute idea to add to your classroom. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to plan your hallway procedures and don't forget our teacher approved tip to plan ahead now for next year's back to school. We hope you enjoyed
1: this episode of Teacher Approved. I'm Heidi. And I'm Emily. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow or subscribe in your podcast apps so that you never miss an episode. You can connect
0: with us and other teachers in the Teacher Approved Facebook group. We'll see you here next week. Bye for now. Bye.